want to start by asking a question that a famous author, Pastor Henry Blackaby, used to ask his audiences, and it goes something like this. Has God given anyone in here a small assignment? Has God called you to do something, a small assignment? Well, you need to know that it is not a small assignment because the assignment in its worth is based upon the worth of the giver. And if God has called you to do something, it is not small. So what has God called you to do? For some of you, you're in a season in your life where he's called you to be a caretaker, to take care of a family member. I've been there. I, I know what it's like. That was my season of my assignment, and that's what it is right now for many of you. For others, he has called you to serve in a specific way, and if you're scratching your head and wondering, how in the world should I serve my church? Go out to the lobby, eat popcorn, and find out. Plenty of options. And for others, he's called you to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. I know there are certain ways God has given you assignments. He's called you to obey him in certain ways. But here's what happens sometimes. This, this is just my life. I don't know about yours. Sometimes when God calls me to obey, I check out. I'm gone. I, I, don't, I don't fall through. I'm admitting that to you. You can admit it as well. But there are also times where God calls me to obey. And I'm like, yeah, I, I want to do that. And yet, I hesitate. I hesitate to move toward that assignment. I hesitate to move toward obedience. And if that is you this morning, you're in good company. Because we're going to look at a guy who was called specifically by God to obey and to go and to take the victory. And he hesitated. And I want to let you in on something. God is going to do what God's going to do with or without you. You can choose to obey, experience the blessings, or disobey and miss out. But God's plan will not be thwarted because of you. But praise Him. We get to join Him. So let's jump into the Word this morning as we see this story of hesitation, obedience, a lot of other stuff. We're just going to jump right in. I hope you don't mind us just jumping into Judges chapter 4. Uh, we're in the middle of a cycle. We're going to see this cycle throughout the Judges. And you're wondering, what's, what's the cycle? The cycle's like this. God's people disobey Him. God sends nations to punish them, to discipline them. They cry out, oh God, have mercy on us. He sends a judge, which is a deliverer, a military leader, delivers them. They praise God. They start the cycle all over again, back to obedience. All right, that's a cycle. We'll see some of it uh, a little bit here right now. At the beginning of Judges 4. Start with verse 1. Then the sons of Israel, again, circle again, did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ahud died. Remember the guy from last week, the left-handed guy? Remember, stuck that sword in the big guy's belly and all his guts came out? Remember that? It's a good story. If you don't know about that, read it. Go read it some other time. First, verse 2. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jamin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, and the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hashereth Hagoim. Alright? Verse 3. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. 
to get the pattern. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord's going to send them a deliverer. And the judge of this Chaldean woman named Deborah. Verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidus, was judging Israel at that time. Here's the only instance we have in the Bible of a judge, a woman named Deborah. I heard someone this past week say that Deborah reminds them of Golda Meir. And I had no idea who that was, so I had to look it up. And some of you were probably alive when she was alive, for sure. So you know she is, I don't. So I looked it up. And here's the deal. This woman was born in Russia as a Jew, right? She's a Jew. She comes to America, and then she goes to Israel. And when she's in Israel, she did amazing things. Golda Meir, she helped with the founding of the modern state Israel. She became the fourth and only woman prime minister of the modern state of Israel from 1969 to 74. She was known as the Iron Lady. She was a very tough leader. And that's kind of like Deborah. So you can think, well, who are the two women, you know, the little trivia night? Who are the two women who led Israel at certain times of their history? Deborah Golden Meyer. There's your trivia answer. Amazing. Verse five. She used to sit, this is Deborah. She used to sit under the palm tree, but Deborah, she's got a palm tree named after her. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. So she's a prophetess, she's a judge. God gives her this special insight and wisdom to settle disputes. And wisdom from God is for a variety of purposes. Here is one example, verse six. Now she sent and summoned Barak the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, behold, the Lord, the God of Israel has commanded, go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon and I will give him into your hand. She is given Barak, this military commander, a word from the Lord. Barak, you are about to lead the Israel armies of God out to battle against Sisera with his 900 iron chariots and you will win and you will defeat them because the battle belongs to the Lord. No matter how weak you feel, Barak, and how intimidating it may be, you will win. The battle belongs to the Lord. You've experienced that. I've experienced that. Now, Barak has the opportunity to experience it. Let's see how he responds. Verse eight. Then Barak said to her, if you go with me, then I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Now, how about that for a brave commander of the armies? He's saying, I will go if you will hold my hand into battle. But if not, I'm not going. This is something called conditional obedience. I'll obey if you do something for me. Remember at the beginning of the book, we saw something called partial obedience, where the, the people would go and take the land, but they were supposed to take all of it, but they only took a part of it, and partial obedience was disobedience. Well, here it is conditional obedience. If you'll go with me, I'll go. And some of us, we know, we know about conditional obedience, don't we, with God? God, if you'll do something for me, then I'll do something for you, right? 
Like, if you'll give me lots of money, then I'll start giving you more money, right? If you give me help, then I'll step out. And when we do these wagers with God, God, if you'll save my son or save my prodigal daughter, then I'll start serving you and I'll get serious about my faith. These are conditional statements that we make sometimes in our hearts with God. It's like a a conditional obedience. Well, there's consequences of that. And look at the consequences in the life of Barak. Look what she says to him, verse 9. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you're about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So Barak, yep, he's got Deborah going with him now. But he is now not going to get the honor of sharing and the blessing and be used by God because that honor will go to a woman. Now, if you're sitting there for the first time reading the story, you're thinking, the woman must be Deborah. She's gonna get the honor. Oh, I just wait and see. I really hope you've never heard this story. Just wait and see who the woman is who gets the honor. It's amazing. But it skips over Barak. Verse 10. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Now, this is, now Heber the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. And you might say to yourself, who cares about Heber? Who is this guy that pitched his tent? Why is this even here? Put a placeholder there. We'll come back to that. That's part of the story. Verse 12. Then they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people were with him from Hesherath, Hagim, to the river Kishon. Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword for Barak and Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Heshereth Haggim and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Victory. How did it happen? Well, here's how it happened. We'll see a little bit of this when we go to chapter five, but this is how it happened. So Barak charging down the mountain, 10,000 up against Sisera, iron chariots. The Lord causes it to rain, pouring rain. Sisera's chariots get caught in the mud. And so Barak comes and his army picks them off one by one. Because the Lord is going to do what the Lord is going to do. And the battle is his. And he says he's going to get victory. He'll get victory with or without your compliance. It's an amazing victory. At least Barak showed up. But I want to show you something. If if we may skip over this too quick. I want to show you something. Did you know 12 tribes were supposed to fight in unity against the enemies? And I don't know if you pay attention, but 12 tribes don't show up to fight here. 
So let's go to chapter five real quick. Can we do that? Go to chapter five real quick. I want to show you something. I'm going to show you some of the tribes that were a no-show. Didn't show up for this battle. Now, chapter five is basically recounting the same events, but in a song, all right? So let's start in verse 15. Judges 5, verse 15. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, as was Issachar. So was Barak into the valley. They rushed at his heels. Yay for Issachar. But watch this. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the piping from the flocks? Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead remained across the Jordan. And why did Dan stay in ships? Asher sat at the seashore and remained by its landings. Zebulun was a people who despised their lives even to death. And Naphtali also on the high places of the field. So several tribes here are condemned for their inactivity. They're supposed to go out and fight against the enemy. If not, the enemy can overtake them, if not for God's intervention. The question is, well, why didn't they fight? Why why didn't they fight? Well, you got the tribes of Asher and Dan. They're just sitting on the seashore, doing their job, sipping their tea, enjoying life, being busy. Perhaps they would say, we're, we're too busy to go and fight. Well, what about Reuben? Well, at least he's thinking about it in his heart as he sits among the sheepfolds. Now, I want you to see the contrast here, okay? So I want you to contrast what's going on with war, with the peaceful, tranquil life of the sheepfolds, just tending to sheep when they're supposed to be out to war. Why did these tribes not go? I think it's because of this. You see, when you go to war, war is uncontrollable, unpredictable, unclean. When you're doing your job messing around with sheep and ships and sipping tea, that's very predictable, controllable, and clean. And yet God was calling them to war and the battle belonged to the Lord. And I see this connection, obviously, in my life and in your life too, too, is that I like things that are predictable, controllable, and clean. I just want the peaceful, tranquil life among the trees. I just want to relax, leave me alone. And yet when God is calling us to obey, it often becomes unpredictable, uncontrollable, and unclean, right? When you set out on this assignment that God has for you, it's not easy. It gets difficult. And it's often the sounds of war rather than the sounds of sheep. And we hesitate. When we hesitate, we miss out on the blessings God has for us. So if Barak conquered the army and yet Sisera got away, Who is going to take care and kill Sisera? Let me introduce you to a woman. And if you are looking for names for your daughter or granddaughter, here is a good suggestion. All right. Verse 17. Pick it up. Verse 17. We're back in chapter four. Okay, go back to four. This is great. This is great. Oh, this is a cool story. Now, Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of jail 
the wife of Heber. Oh, that's why that verse was there before. Heber, the Kenite. Oh, that's Jael's husband. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. <laughs> All right, so Sisera's fleeing. Jael goes out to meet him in the middle of nowhere and she's like, come in here. And he's thinking, okay, it's gonna be safe in the tent of a woman because only you know, the husband can go into there. So I'm gonna go in there. And so he goes in there and takes refuge. And she's like, come on in, come on in. And she covers him up with a rug. And I'm just gonna tell you what happens. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what happens, okay? Here's what happens. She covers him in the rug and he wants some water. And she's like, oh, let me give you some milk. And she gives him some milk. All right, this really happened. Gives him some, and he drinks this milk and he's getting kind of sleepy and he falls asleep. And then you're thinking jail because she picks up a hammer and a tent peg that she's gonna go outside with her hammer and her tent peg and she's gonna work on her tent while Sisera, the commander, sleeps. But no, this is what happens, no joke. She picks up the tent peg, he's sleeping, goes down to him, sticks it on his temple and drives it through all the way to the ground. Name your daughter's jail. For real, that's the way it happened. And she's the one that got the honor. She's the one that got the victory. And what's amazing, if you read chapter five in detail, we won't go into details, but, but I've got to show you something in chapter five. Just turn back to chapter five again, okay? Now remember chapter five is a song. It's a song. And I want you to, to look at verses 24 through 27. It's a song, okay? I'm not gonna sing it, but look, look at this. Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed is she of women in the tent. He asked for water and she gave him milk. In a magnificent bowl, she brought him curds. She reached out her hand for the tent peg and her right hand for the workman's hammer. Then she struck Sisera. She smashed his head and she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet, he bowed, he fell, he lay. Between her feet, he bowed, he fell, where he bowed, there he fell dead. And you're thinking, well, why is it kind of, some people think the reason why it's written like this is because it's written like to have a beat. Boom, boom, like a song. Like boom, pounding that tent peg through his head. And they sing this song and pound their hammers. And she got the honor. She got the victory. And the honor passed over Barak and went to her. And then we finish up back again, chapter four, chapter four. Chapter four, verse 23 and 24. Verse 23, so God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the sons of Israel. The hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. God did it. God used a housewife with a hammer instead of a military leader with an army to get that victory over the commander, Sisera. 
And God's going to do what God's going to do with or without you. He has a variety of assignments that he wants us to do, and he will get it accomplished with or without us. And he's going to rout the Canaanites. This is what he's going to do without Barak, and he did it without Barak, and the ultimate killing of Sisera. And I know that you need to hear this, and I'm trying to figure out how to put this to you, but I do realize that everything kind of in the commotion of your life and your culture and maybe in your church may be pushing against you and your assignment that God has given you or your obedience. And here's the way I like to think about it, how everything seems to be pushing against obedience in your life. And like the culture, your church may have once affirmed it, your obedience, but now it's kind of drifted. It's, it's like this. This past Monday night, my wife and I uh, wanted to play pickleball. We like pickleball, but uh, there were no available courts. We were at Hot Springs Athletic Club. Now, we met in high school at 16 because we both played on the tennis team, all right? Tell me, young love, okay? 16, all right? And so we thought, can't get on the pickleball courts, let's go old school and play tennis. So we show the money night to play tennis. Now, I'm sure you've seen this uh, in courts across America. There are not many tennis courts left. Pickleball has taken over. And so this place that used to have tons of tennis courts now has two janky courts. They've refurbished, refreshed, and created on a tournament day about 15 to 20 pickleball courts, and they just have these two janky tennis courts. And so we're out there playing tennis, barely moving at our age, you know, <laughs> playing tennis. This is not high school anymore, but we hear pickleballers all around us. And while I was playing tennis, I was kind of feeling proud that we're the holdouts. We're actually doing what these courts are made for. And I'm feeling kind of proud out there. And some pickleball guy comes over and he tries to coach me on tennis. I'm like, do you not know I played for Arkansas Tech University Wonder Boys back in the day? Who are you to coach me? Now, now, now stick with me here because this is what, what I'm trying to connect here. Is, is it's okay that all these courts have been turned into pickleball courts. That, that's fine. But once, once used to be normal, tennis everywhere is not, and it's just kind of weird. We used to have a certain type of church culture that was full of risk, that was full of laying down your life in obedience, and now people look at it as just kind of weird, like we've moved on. Did you know back in the day, young people used to be celebrated for their call to the ministry to be a pastor for their call to the mission field. And now when young people talk about our call to the ministry or call to the mission, we look at them like, really? That's, that's weird. That's tennis. People aren't doing that anymore. And, and it seems like everything is pushing against the assignment that God may have with you. Everything is pushing against God's call on your life. And my brothers and sisters, God's still calling in specific ways and whether people affirm it or not, you gotta follow through on obedience. And to not follow through is to be left out a blessing and the honor would go to others because God is going to do his work with or without you. 
And so if you're here this morning, you say, yeah, but man, I just want things that are controllable. I just want things that are really predictable. I want things that are clean in my life. Well, I'm sorry, you've come to the wrong church. You've come to the wrong Bible and you're following the wrong Lord. Because if I'm reading the Bible that you're reading, I see a Bible full of obedience and most of the time that includes risk. Most of the time that includes things that are uncontrollable, unpredictable, and they are an absolute mess. And we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest judge and deliverer ever, greater than Deborah, greater than Samson, greater than all the judges and the judges, and he is our deliverer, and he steps out again and again into situations that are uncontrollable, unpredictable, and unclean, and he's in the garden, right? And he's thinking, not my will, but yours be done. And he laid down his life on the cross, buried and rose again, so that you and I can have life now and life eternal through him. That is the Lord we follow. And as we follow him, things won't be clean. Things won't be predictable. And a lot of times, it's gonna be total chaos. And he's saying, let's go. Lay down your life. Let's go. So this morning is this morning for some of you. That is the call in your life that you feel like, okay, I've got to obey. I've got to follow. No matter what happens, today is the day of obedience.